Here we go on a Monday night. Hear the music, start getting excited. Time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a great show once again. But Ira, you kind of had a little bit of a, a relaxing few weeks here. You got to stay in South Florida for most of what you were doing. Not the case this past week. You're racking up frequent flyer miles again. Where have you been? Well, not just racking up. I mean, I think <laughs> I am the only person in the world that I, was at game, I would agree. <laughs> how about the game three and four in Boston, the NBA Finals, and then game six, the clinching game that Tampa uh, beat the Rangers down back in Tampa. So Friday I was in Boston. Uh, the game ends 12, 1230, fly up early the next morning, fly down back to West Palm Beach, and then drove over to uh, to Tampa for the game and saw game six for the clincher for the Lightning. So we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. And I know you've been to Boston dozens of times. You go to Tampa all the time as well. But you'd never been to Amelie Arena, had you? No. Everyone raves about it as a facility for the NHL. I can't wait to hear all about this. Um, I also I learned it's uh, motor oil. I did not realize that Amelie <laughs> no was a, Amelie is. I thought it was a, like some sort of uh, I don't know a technology company, but it's actually motor oil. I would have thought that too. And it's it, to me, it's still XL Energy Arena. They change these things so frequently, it's hard to keep up. Um, speaking of keeping up, we have a return guest. He's one of an elite, elite club, but there's not many people on the planet who've achieved what he has. It's Paul Westhead joining us at about 725. There's been fewer people who have won the NBA championship as a coach than there has been presidents of the United States. So that is an elite club. There's only 35 people who have won the NBA championship. Only 15 are alive. And one of those 15 is Paul Westhead, who's going to be on our show, who won it with the Lakers between 79 and 80. And anybody who's been watching HBO The Winning Time, which I tell people should watch that he's the central figure of the entire show with Kareem and magic and everything. It's a great, it's a great show. And coach Westhead is just so wonderful. He's going to break down the finals. He's watching all the games. He knows more than anything. And he's one, look, he had a coach, he had a game five when the Sixers versus the Lakers and they ended up winning Kareem hit the game winning shot. So he knows that more than anybody else knows how to win a game five in the NBA finals. Great insight from him coming up in about 22 minutes or so. All right, we got, we got to get right into it. Let's start with the NBA. Take us back to you getting to Boston. I know you, I think you went with no tickets, which not completely uncommon for you, but this was not only a tough ticket to get, but you had, you know, you had to really wait and pick your spots here. Tell us about how you got to Boston. What was the plan? First of all, my camera was broke, so I had to go. I was so lucky. I flew to Boston, and there's a camera store there that had the, my same camera, so I didn't want to – I couldn't shoot with a different type of camera that, <laughs> with it, without any practice. Like So it was just the model up, and it was very helpful. And But you quick get a hotel room in the city because Paul McCartney is at Fenway Park. So you have Paul McCartney. You have the Celtics in Game <laughs> 3. It's chaos. I'm at the Red Roof Plus end, plus within the plus sign. And uh, then I sat there at the Red Roof looking – and an hour and a half before the game, in the Ticketmaster, these little blue dots come up, which means it's issued from this team. It's not a resale ticket. There's no fees at all. Zero, like, few two bucks or whatever. And they came up, club seat. I, I literally, it was on Jeopardy. Like, if my life, I pushed, pushed by. Like, it was just like that. And I could not believe. A second later, they were all gone. And I couldn't believe I, I got it. And it was a great ticket. I rushed down there and Uber down and uh, it was in the club section is nice. I mean, the seats, if, if you have long legs, it's hard to sit in those chairs. They're so compact. But it, the club section is just there's food and drink and it's more sedate. It's above the main of the of the main court area. And I like getting there, of course, getting earlier. I missed some of the I got there a little later. Than I normally do. But you can see the Warriors warm up because Steph Curry always does. I, mean, I have this video that I put on Iron Sports on uh, Instagram. 
he sat there from like right between before the midcourt line, made like four in a row, just like normal shot, mm. four in a row. It's crazy. And then uh, Marcus Smart for the Celtics always likes to turn, put his back to the basket in the corner and throw it over his head. And the game three, he hit it, but in game four, it took him like ten times. I don't think that's a good practice for the game. And then just seeing all the players, it is cool in the finals because then you're seeing all the celebrities walk around, the celebrity sports writers, and everything. So that was pretty cool. I love being there for that. And uh, the crowd was insane. That game three was louder than game four. I think people have been, must have been drinking all day or the Paul McCartney concert or whatever, but they were fired up. And that whole Draymond Green, I have been, besides LeBron's game to return home to Cleveland when he played at Miami, I've never seen a, fan, a player booed the entire game. Just every time he touched the ball, they booed, they booed him the whole time. He says, I'm in their, you know, Green said, I'm in their heads. Well, I don't know if he was, he's played so poorly, but clearly it got, must have got to him because he played awful himself. Draymond Green has more podcasts issued in the playoffs than he does double digits, points games, rebound games, <laughs> anything like that. Not a good stat. He hasn't been good, and that was definitely, you know, their issues, especially in this game. Anything else pregame before we get into it? I like TD Garden's location now. I was there a couple of years ago, and there wasn't much around it, but now they've opened up a lot of bars and restaurants. It's become more of a destination place, like you're seeing in a lot of these arenas. Um, it's weird when you walk into Garden. They actually, it, it seemed different this time because it's right above a subway station, but not like Masters Garden. So you come out and then you go up these escalators and that's pretty cool. I don't remember doing it the last time like that. So I probably people say, no, they've always had it that way, but it's not the old Boston Garden. It's a new one. Um, it's a good arena, not the best. It's okay. But it was still the crowd though. Totally different than Miami. I mean, they were totally into it, and it was from day, from the moment you got there. It was they were screaming, and I, mean, I guess they were, you know, of course, drinking all day. So. <laughs> well, you had mentioned, you know, before we get into that, you said the tickets they kind of popped up out of nowhere. How fast did they go after that? Because I think you'd said that you ended up getting a better deal than if you'd bought in advance and bought an upper de- upper level ticket. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I was looking and saying, I'm going to pay the same amount and sit the worst row in the seat because <laughs> I had given up getting a good ticket. And then it came up and I was like, I couldn't believe it that I was able to buy it that quick and know exactly. But you have to look at it. I was just staring. I must have refreshed Ticketmaster 100,000 times um, <laughs> and just going refresh, refresh, looking at the screen. And like when it happened, I was like, oh, I got so lucky. I mean, really lucky on that ticket. So let's talk about this. You know, we're going into this game. The series is tied up one-to-one. But I feel like Boston had a lot of the momentum. Uh, Vegas agreed that they were the favorites. And Boston came out, and I think they kind of— this was a little bit of a statement game to me, Ira, because they pretty much, you know, had their hand on the gas pedal the entire time. Right. I mean, the team that—it's weird. The previous 39 teams, when they've split the first two games, the winner of Game 3 went on to win the series 82% of the time. So that's a a good stat. First quarter, Boston was up by 11. Um, They were just—they were just—they— they went up 22-9, 26-11. Uh, Jalen Brown at one point had 18 points to Tatum. You know how much I love Jalen Brown and said he's as good as Tatum. I'm not saying he's better than Tatum. I think he's as good. Everyone's criticizing me for that comment. But every time he plays so well, like, I think I'm winning that because he's going to win the MVP. <laughs> like, if he won the next two games and played like this, he'd be the MVP. Oh, without he, a doubt. He had 18 points to Tatum's three. The second quarter, the Celtics were cruising 56-39 with five minutes ago. It's like, wow, the Warriors are totally out of it. Then they went on a 10-0 run. Uh, and then, and then it goes starting the halftime. It was 68 56. Uh, Boston shot almost 60% that first half, then eight for 18 from three. They had a 24 to 14 rebound advantage and, and fast breaks 12 to two. Uh, and Brown had the 22 points. And, and it was like the Warriors were completely out of the game, not playing well. 
and then you're just hoping that third quarter something would happen. And unlike the Heat, you know, what I suggested the Heat at halftime, but let's keep the fans there. Nelly comes out. Now, I know Nelly's not the biggest actor in the world, but Nelly did keep people in their That's seats to watch act. Nelly. Yeah, so, and everyone stayed because when they started the third quarter, it, people were there. It wasn't like the Heat where, like, the whole arena's outside, like, on Biscayne Bay. I mean, it, they were sitting in their seats. I mean, there's a few stragglers coming back, but I got to give Nelly credit, so, you know, for keeping the fans in the seats because you know how that's a big problem. But, you know, the Warriors outscored the Celtics in four games by 50 total points in the third quarter. I mean, they, they own the third You'd quarter. You'd said it on the show. This was the, their, their, their thing. And they went on this third quarter. They actually cut the lead 93-80 to four points. Um, and one of the one of the things they were able to do in that in that uh, quarter was there was a seven point play when Curry was fouled, shooting a three. He was fouled. It was intentional. It was called a flagrant foul. So they got one shot. They got the ball again. So it was like, and then they were hit another. I think um, Wiggins hit a three. So it was like a seven point play. So that was the, I've never seen a seven point play <laughs> before ever. But they cut it to cut it to four points. But in the fourth quarter. Boston just didn't show up. It was 23 to 11 in the fourth quarter in points. Boston scored 11. I mean, Boston, I mean, Golden State scored 11 points in the quarter. Uh, it was the third fewest ever in the finals. Uh, Curry started the quarter, which sometimes he hasn't been, which you know, he takes some time. So he actually started that quarter, but he had three turnovers. He missed a three-point shot. And uh, the whole Warriors team had five turnovers in the first six minutes. Selks went up by 11 with nine minutes to go. And then it was sort of like, you know, up by 14 with five minutes to go. And then... The weird thing about the Celtics is they didn't really even score the rest of the way. So with five minutes to go, they ended up finishing the game scoring six points. And that's what happened at the next game, too. But uh, it was, So Tatum didn't even play well, but it was the game was over. And the Warriors, Curry twisted his ankle at the end, and then Kerr took all the starters out with two, two and a half minutes, down 14. I, you know, again, you're only down 14. Kerr said the game was over. I'm like, eh, still, yeah, it's the NBA really. Finals. Like, <laughs> leave it in there. So... Um, really, the, the key was the rebounding advantage, which was totally reversed then in Game 4, is that Boston had a 47-31 to 31 rebounding advantage, uh, 16 turnovers for Golden State. Curry had 31 points. Uh, Clay Thompson had 25 points. He finally had a good game. And Wiggins, who's probably been the second-best player for the Warriors, had 25 points. But Draymond Green, one for, for 35 minutes, 1-4-4, for 0-2 oh from threes, two points, four rebounds, three assists, two turnovers, and six fouls. You know how he said he threatened, you know, they're never going to throw me out. Well, they just fouled him out of the game. So <laughs> he was terrible. And uh, they had Porter on the bench and Peyton and Poole, who gave it. Each bench uses about three guys, each one. Porter, Peyton, and Poole for the Warriors, and Williams, White, and Pritchard for Boston. Uh, Tatum at 26 points. Brown only 27 after having that 22 in the first half. Uh, and Smart had 24 points. But it was like it was really the Draymond Green. That's what we talked about for two days. It's like Draymond Green was awful and did not when he touched the ball, he didn't want to shoot. And he was like a liability out there and not really doing anything and not. And again, people compared to Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman got rebounds. I mean, Dennis Rodman scored four points and had like 15 rebounds. Green just did not get the rebounds. I mean, he, he has to rebound. And it was just that performance was just horrendous. I mean, four rebounds in 35 minutes when you're the forward, when they don't even have, they're playing without a center. And uh, again, he talks so much and talks about how great he is and how he's in the hall. People talk about first bout Hall of Famer, but just a really poor performance. He was doing a podcast in the hotel room about 20 minutes later. No, it, what you said is correct. You don't always have to score a lot of points, especially on this team. You got to play defense. Wasn't playing very good defense. You got to get rebounds. Not doing that. So this is a real... I'm looking at this going into game four like these guys are in a lot of trouble. So, Ira, you've got a couple of days here to kill. One of the highlights, I think, of the trip is a sports bar that you found that was one of the nicest I've seen anywhere in the country. 
Well, I went down and my friend suggested, first of all, the hotels, I could go into go forever about going to the Omni Parker. And then I went to this hotel called the Godfrey, which is an amazing hotel on the 11th floor. It was so perfect right in downtown Boston. So you could walk around. It's only like a mile to the stadium. Perfect. I walked through all the historic sites. So actually you could go to the stadium. Like I walked down to see the sports bar and everyone said, go to this one sports bar in the station the stadium, which is really a great sports bar, but there's no sound. There's like 20 people in the place. And it was pretty, you know, you don't want to be in a place like that. And there's a bar called the greatest and they had everything. Like the ceiling was painted. They have a shrine to Tom Brady. Like I've never, Tom Brady doesn't have a shrine to Tom Brady like that. Like his parents don't have a shrine like that. So it was a true Boston sports bar. And of course they had the sound on and it was full of Ranger fans. Which Surprising is, in Boston. And, and, oh, what a close enough. Not, not many Lightning fans there. And the game was on. It was great to watch and to watch that hockey game. And then the next day, I just, it was like go, cool to walk around the stadium, get my merchandise, hats, those type of things, then go back. So it was fun. Boston was really nice that day. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's 7.15, about 10 minutes or so. We'll have NBA champion coach Paul Westhead join us. So let's go to game five. And I think you had a little bit of an easier time nailing down tickets. Game four had a little bit of an easier time uh, grabbing tickets. I got to give my friend John total, absolute props because he called me. It was like one of those things where he even said, like in the morning, I got you a ticket. And it's in a suite. And I was in the NBC Sports suite. And uh, it was, I got there so early. You could get there at 7. I was there, I think, before the players yeah, got in line. I was at the stage. I got in the suite. And, you know, when you go to a suite, though, it's tough because you don't know where to sit. You don't know if, like, and there's this, like, first row seat. And I don't know if there was no numbers on the ticket. There's a number on the ticket, but not a number on the seat. So I'm like, if I sit here well, should I sit further down? Because then I would be like taking the best. Like some, I didn't want some guy to walk in and say, "This is my seat. I always yeah. sit in that seat." Tom every Brady game. walks right. in, <laughs> and then and then I'm like sitting in the seat, and I'm like nervous. So I actually took my my coke can and like a, and and put it put another one on another side in case I got to move. I go if I get booted out of this seat, I'll go to this one. I was like real nervous about like the seat, but of course no one cared. No one got in the suite. It, when the jump ball was when people came in. Like, I, really? I had maybe two other people were in the whole suite. They had so much food, and it was dead center. Sometimes you get these suites, they're up super high or behind the basket. There was total dead center. It was right where the television cameras are. That's how pretty, how great it was. So it was a perfect seat. Um, yeah, I sort of like to be lower, a little bit lower, but it was just relaxing. You have a bathroom there, everything. It's so nice. But I didn't even, I didn't leave my seat. I was so afraid to give up my seat that I didn't, I didn't, I got my food, I loaded, and I did not leave my seat the entire game. I'm shocked with free food. People didn't show up till the tip off. That's usually, <laughs> you know, usually there's some people there early. Um, so let's talk about this game, Ira. And I'm looking at what I saw in game three and thinking, Boston's probably going to steamroll Golden State again. It was what I was anticipating, and I was incorrect there. Well, it wasn't correct in the first part of the game. First of all, Steph Curry's injury. People said, could he play? Could he not play? This will go down. I mean, if they win the series, this, this is this is his defining game. The 42 points, which is the same amount of points that uh, Magic Johnson scored in 1980, which we talked about Paul West had about in the final in game six. But um, Otto Porter started instead of Looney. So they made a little change in that lineup. Um, but it was like in the first quarter it was 28-27 Boston. This was a close game. I mean, just the whole game felt just close. And Warriors, like, Clay Thompson made his walk where he, like, dribbled down, stopped, walked, and I'm like, that's what you see in, like, third grade. Like, this is Clay Thompson, like, terrible play. Draymond Green was making poor play after poor play, just throwing the ball, fumbling away. Um, and of the first 23 points, like, Curry had 10 and Wiggins had 8. And Andrew Wiggins, 
just, I mean, everyone kept saying, they talk about Clay Thompson, they talk about Draymond Green. Andrew Wiggins is the second best player on this team right now. I mean, he is just doing everything. And I go into the game, someone said the over-under on his rebound in total was six, and they liked the over. And I said, that sounds like a good bet. He had 16, not just six. <laughs> so that was, he had six in the first quarter. Um, the second quarter, of course, it was 28-27, and Tatum then started making awful turnovers. Uh, Jalen Brown had a four-point play. Uh, but it was that one play that uh, uh, Pritchard, w- Pritchard uh, walked, Kerr got a technical, and I, I think the one thing Kerr, I've never seen, I've seen Steph Curry play live, oh, I want to say 25, 30 games. Never seen him this intense. He was intense. He was, he, I, he just wanted this so badly, and it just, you could just see after every play, hustle, everything, and, and, and he's fun. He likes to do the shimmy and all this stuff, but it was even, <laughs> it was something more in this game. It was like, I, it was, it was like he wanted this game, and, and, and afterwards he said, I don't think I've ever wanted to win a game more than I wanted to win that game, but at halftime, it's 54-49 Boston. Uh, Goldstein was shooting 40%. I mean, they were only seven for 24 from threes, and the re- rebounding was even. So you're like, boy, you're like, you know, Goldstein's down five, but it, it could have been. It's like, what are those starts where you felt like the Boston should have been up by 15, not just five? Um, and then the one thing at halftime, they had this girl that rides a unicycle, a woman who rides a unicycle, and she puts plates and then flips the plates on her head. That got, People stayed more for that than Nelly. People really? were going nuts. <laughs> that was like one of the loudest things. that It's famous. People know about this. But in Boston, she only comes, she's like retired, and she comes out for the super big games now. And she put all, I mean, what she does, nobody else can do. She's the only, only person in the world. Think about one out of 35 coaches, 85. She's the only one who does what she does. <laughs> so that got everyone all excited and stayed there. But uh, And then in the third quarter, Golden State again won the quarter, but, but not by a lot, 30 to 24. Um, Courier, uh, Curry had this like four point play that he wanted. Remember, he was fouled and pushed and fought back there. Uh, Jalen Brown got four fouls with a minute 45 left. And I think that hurt them every time. This is the key. This is what going forward. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's foul situation. Because when they get in foul trouble, they don't have other scores. And then Marcus Smart feels like he has to shoot all the time. It's it's imperative. They cannot. If you see Jalen Brown or, or Jason Tatum, like a stupid foul, like someone got a fast break and they'll just foul him, those guys should be told, do not foul. Like, they foul. That's a disaster. Any types, if they're going to get in foul trouble, that's going to really hurt them. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, it was Golden State 79, Boston 78. Um, but the key of this was for five minutes to go in the quarter, Marcus Smart hit a three. It was 94-90. And I'm like, I think Boston's going to win this game. I really did. I just just felt Golden State was battling. It just felt this just felt like the last game where Golden State was just going to fall apart. And Poole misses a layup, and the key play was Wiggins got that rebound. After Poole misses it, got the rebound. Now Draymond Green is out of the game. So now Kerr is mixing everything up. He's taking Draymond Green out. He's leaving Poole in the game, uh, and that, I think, helped a lot. And the Wiggins got the offensive rebound, so they cut it to two. Then Brown misses a jump shot. Curry gets the rebound. So you see Curry getting all these rebounds at these key times. Clay hit a big-time three to take the lead. Brown missed another three-pointer. Then Curry hit another two-point shot. And then the Celtics call a timeout, but they're only down three, 97-94. And, uh, but then Tatum has a bad three-point shot. Green got the rebound. The Warriors after a turnover and a missed shot. But then Smart, this is where it got really bad. This is exactly the heat game. Smart misses a three-point shot. Then they got the offensive rebound, but Smart missed another one, and then Horford misses a three. So they had all these chances to score, and they kept saying, firing these threes. I'm like, get the ball inside. Like the whole game, they were working inside. Mm-hmm. Robert Williams is not in the game. They weren't doing anything. Then Curry hits a three, and then they had a turnover, and then Clay misses a three, but Green got the offensive rebound, threw it to Looney for a dunk, made it 102-97, uh, and then Celtics made another turnover, and then Curry was just draining three uh, free throws at the end of the game, ending up winning the game. And that was... 
But it was like, it just seems like the same thing with the Heat game where the Celtics were just firing threes up again and again, not working the ball inside, not driving, not trying to get fouls, not doing anything. And that's where I not I think they should have had Robert Williams in the game. But the key with that was the rebounding. Golden State had 55 rebounds. Boston had 42. They out-rebounded them for the half by 13. I mean, the turnover stayed even, but that was the keys of the rebounding. Curry, 43 points, 10 boards, 4 assists. Uh, Clay Thompson, 18 points. And Wiggins, 17 points as a 7-4, 16 boards. Uh, and Draymond Green, another bad game. 1 for 7, 0 for 2, 9 boards, 8 assists, 2 points. But the key was they got him out of the game. They were playing pool. They were playing Otto Porter. They weren't having Green hurt their offense so much. And I think that made a big difference because Pool finally had a big game. He had 14 points, came in there and hit a couple big threes. Uh, I think that was the key. Tatum had 23 points. Brown had 21 points. But Tatum shot 8 for 23. He can't not... If Tatum is going to shoot, he's shooting 33% for the series. He's the first team all-star. He cannot be shooting 33% and then have a chance to win. And Marcus Smart, you know, 7 for 18, 3 for 9, but just bad shot after bad shot. And it's just, that was what I think was, was, was what I noticed about that game is that at the end, and the same thing with the Heat game, they just fire these threes up. Tatum takes one, makes one shot the whole thing. He's not shooting the ball, not driving the ball. Um, that's a bad loss. And that place got quiet. I mean, it was... That when they saw that they were losing their lead, I mean, it just everyone was just super quiet and didn't say a word. Interesting to see the differences between Draymond and Steph Curry. Draymond was arguably the most trashed person in the media for the next 48 hours. Steph Curry, not necessarily trashed, but people are beginning to say, is he too old now? If he doesn't win this, is his legacy not the same? He has an amazing game, one of, the, one of the best he's ever had, and Draymond comes out and below pedestrian again. He, he got to the boards a little bit, had some assists, but again, completely ineffective offensively. Kind of interesting, the tale of two different players there. You can see who's got more resolve between the two. Yeah, I mean, uh, Draymond Green is averaging four points in the, the series, shooting 30%. Um, Curry is averaging... 35 points a game, shooting 50% from three, 50% from two, six rebounds, four assists. And he's led scoring for even when they've lost. So he's been the leading scorer in all four games, which has, I think, happened like three or four other times. Um, like Shaq has one time has done that, and Jerry West did it. Um, but Tatum, Jason Tatum has said 33% shooting, uh, three and a half turnovers. It's just if he, if Jason Tatum cannot shoot the ball better and play smarter, um, they're going to lose. I, it's just, I feel like they're going to go back tonight. I am just so pumped about today's game. Uh, I wish I was at it, but um, <laughs> it was, I, I, I think the Warriors win. I think the Warriors still win. I predicted the Warriors. I'm going to stay with that, that they're going to win. I, I, I said five, but I think they're going to win in six. I, I completely regained my trust in Golden State. After game three, I had them buried in my head. And then seeing Steph do what he had to do, you know what I mean? And like you said, how pumped he was, how into it Steph Curry was. I'm with you. I'm still – now that we're going – especially going to Golden State next, I'm with you. I'm going to take Golden State to, to win the series if I had to bet on it right now. I mean, we talked about – I was watching – we're going to have Paul Westhead on. We're going to talk about the final 79-80. And if you watch winning time and in that game six when Kareem got hurt and couldn't play and, and Magic's like, I can jump center. And he scored 42 points. I mean, it's like – that attitude of, okay, this is a pressure moment. This is a pressure time. The better the stakes are, you see some of these athletes just raise to another level. And that's what I think with tennis. I like Nadal. Like Rafael Nadal, the more pressure it is, you could, you could be downed in a tiebreaker before points. That's when you start hitting the ball harder, making better plays. And that's what Curry was able to do. It's a pressure guard. Now, he's not 
done. He has not played well. Against Toronto, I thought he could have won the game. He didn't do that. Certainly against the Cavaliers in some of those series, he that first series they lost when they blew a 3-1 lead. But in general, I mean, this was this was Steph Curry really stepping up, and this was a statement game, and I just love to see it because you could see the other players were nervous. Wiggins played great uh, for Golden State, but from Boston's perspective, they choked at the end. They were up 94-90 with the ball, and they can hold on. Stop chucking threes. <laughs> Anything else to get to before we talk to uh, Paul Westhead? No, I'm just I, – I think that this is – I, I can't believe we're down to the final three games of the NBA season. And I just am excited. I'm excited. I think that Steve Kerr, I, what I get to give credit is I think Steve Kerr is now back in the series, knows that he has this bench. He's coached this. And I want to see the moves he makes during the game. But I, at the end of the game, again, Boston, if Boston's not blowing them out. I don't think Boston wins a close game because I don't think they know what to do at the end of the game. Whereas I think Golden State knows Steph Curry's going to drain a three. No, you're absolutely right on that. Let's talk to Paul Westhead. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, and we're just so pleased to have Coach Paul Westhead. He's the author of The Speed Game, My Fast Times in Basketball. And there's, I think, I looked at the numbers, there's 35 people that have ever been coached NBA championship team. And there's only like 16 that are still alive. And Coach Westhead is one of those 16, one of those 35. So, Coach Westhead, thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports and, and giving a little preview of the finals right now and also talking about your game, the, the book, The Speed Game, and with the winning time. So much to t- discuss today. Well, thanks, Ira. I'm glad I'm one of the select uh, 15 out of the 35 are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight we're ge- we're gearing up for Game Five of the NBA Finals. Go yep. <laughs> and remember, you coached back 79 and 80, and your series actually went to Game Five too. So you were sort of at the Golden State position. You're two-two home, uh, and this is a series that 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 uh, Kareem hit the game-winning shot in that game to send it back to Philadelphia. So into a series that's two two, you've gone through two, you know, two game, four games of the series. What kind of adjustments are you making? What are you thinking about back in those days? And like, what are the coaches thinking? Kerr and Adoko is thinking now. What adjustments are you making into this game five? Yeah, it's a, it's hard to go back. Uh, I, I mean, we had such a, a set plan that we knew, you know, we were going to try and run. Uh, and get some fast breaks going. And if we didn't, we were going to go into the low post to Kareem. I mean, Kareem was the the dominant factor in the game. So uh, the best way to handle that is don't make too many adjustments. Don't all of a sudden give the ball inside to Norm Nixon because they haven't seen him in the post. No, uh, so you, you have to be very clever and you have to make adjustments, but you have to stick to – you know, what got you to the dance. So uh, I suspect that both teams will make a little adjustments, but not not significant ones, I wouldn't think. Now, going into it, a series, I mean, it's so much different than the, than in just the regular season where you're going from one game to another, back-to-backs-to-back. To back to back. Right. It's just the teams get used to the player. They used to get, you know, they, they see the plays run a number of times. It must be hard to make those, you know, it, just those small little adjustments during those games because the, everybody, you're so familiar with each other. Yeah, you, you hit upon something. You, you make a good point. Uh, in a normal regular season game, you know, uh, teams prepare for each other. They have a day or two to prepare, and, and you know, they do some, some general things. This one, you know, they're breaking down spots on the floor where, you know, we, we, we don't want to let Kerr, uh, Stephon Curry get that open jumper in the middle at this spot. So, yeah, you're right. There will be adjustments, and – and speaking of that, I I suspect that Boston has learned 
not to let uh, Stefan uh, Curry come off that uh, high pick and roll and get open. Uh, they have to either switch him or double him or do something because uh, he's devastating. And now from the Warriors' perspective, I, actually, you were assistant on the Golden State bench. I was looking at your bio, and, and you mentioned briefly in your, in your book right. that, that, you, that you, were coach, you did coach the Warriors for a couple of years. I was, I'm surprised they're not fast-breaking more. They have one game that's 11, 12, and 8. Like, the four games, they've averaged about 11 or 12 points. They, they seem to have a faster team than, than in Boston, and they could neutralize the side advantage, the size advantage the Celtics have. So I am surprised they just aren't. Are, are, you, do you, are you surprised they're not fast-breaking more? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those expressions, fast break, that people use. And, and uh, over the last half a dozen years, the Warriors have been associated with a team that plays quick and fast. But I I don't see a lot of it. I, I, so I haven't seen much in this series. Uh, I think uh, it all comes down to the outlet pass. They have to get that ball out quicker. Uh, but I think... Both teams are more content to a very steady pace, and they think that their their shooters are going to uh, win the game for them, so they're not going to overrush it. But, yeah, I think Golden State, if they ran a little bit more, it would help them, and, and it would help Boston also. And then the one of the players in the series of people that Kerr has to focus with is Draymond, his own player, Draymond Green, who is underperforming in the first four games, having trouble in terms of, you know, offensively. And in game four, he actually was subbing him out on, you know, doing offense and defense with Draymond Green. Right. Um, it must be a challenge for Kerr to say, look, everyone views like Draymond Green's the most important player on the team besides Curry, all that, but realizing that it's not working out in this series and having to make those changes like that. Yeah, uh, that's a delicate thing. Uh, Draymond Green is a, a proud, uh, no pun intended, a proud warrior. And he, uh, you can play with him a little bit, you know, pull him in and out, but he needs to be out on that court. You, he's a kind of guy for his, the X factor for his, his strength, his power, his intimidation. He's needed out on that court. He has to be more effective. I grant that. He has not been uh, scoring very well at all. But uh, I'll be surprised if you don't see Draymond Green out there playing 35-plus minutes. And then the use of the bench, it's like I, I always like to see you know, what matchups are there, what lineups are in there. And I feel that it's, there's like each team has a, a, a unique type of bench. But the Warriors with Otto Porter, Jordan Poole, Gary Payton, it seems like they can – it seems like Kerr is looking for that right lineup. You know, trying to put pull with Peyton might work better, but just utilizing those bench for maybe the 15, 20 minutes. Now, I know when you coached the, the Lakers, you actually had Cooper coming off the bench until Kareem got injured for that game – for the game six. But, you know, just utilizing your bench players again, the right that – that's a, such a challenge and, and maybe the difference in the series. Yeah, uh, but, but again, I would fall back and say – You've played, you know, 82 regular season games and a whole bunch of playoff games now. You have to kind of rely on the guys who came off the bench who helped you through the season. So, uh, for me, you know, it was a no-brainer to play Michael Cooper. Uh, I don't think it's the time to get clever and reach out and, and grab somebody who's like your ninth man and he's fresh and fit and you say, maybe we'll get lucky. And I don't think Kerr will do that, but... He has a little deeper bench than Boston, so he can afford to uh, to gamble a little bit. And then one of the things is they say, oh, the 
you know, the stars have their criticism of Curry to some extent, not criticism of how Curry's being used, but is that he's been playing like 41, 42 minutes. I know that, you know, I was looking at the minutes of the teams that when you played, like you played in game six, you played Magic 47 of the 48 minutes. It, it must be a challenge to be saying, look, I've got to have my star rested. I, I can't overplay them. But on the other hand, I need them in the game because I need them scoring. So that's, that's really more, more than the regular season, the playoffs. You're trying to get that extra couple minutes in. Uh, but it's a, it must be just a huge challenge for a coach. Yeah, you, you, you think you're getting clever. I mean, uh, we always would try and rest Kareem, who needed more rest then than Magic. Magic was a, you know, a young rookie in, in, in my first year when we won. Uh, so we would try with a maybe inside two minutes to go at the end of a quarter, take Kareem out for the last two minutes, uh, let him sit the quarter, keep him on the bench for a minute or two into the next quarter. So that's where we tried to, you know, uh, look like we were being smart, but it, you're going to win a championship with your star players out there. So uh, don't get don't get too clever and rest them and lose. So uh, better to have them out on the court. And then from the Boston perspective, it seems like the third quarter is the problem. I mean, they've been outscored all every third quarter. It's been, I think, about about forty some points. They've been outscored in the third quarter, and and they know that Golden State's known as a great third quarter team, but they just seem not to be able to. Uh, I know that I was at the game, the games three and four, and they have, like, try to keep the fans there. They had Nelly perform at halftime. They had another, you know, halftime performance. like, fans, stay in your seat, help us. But it seems like it must be such a challenge to figure out how to stop this Warriors third-quarter dominance. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially since they know it. Uh, <laughs> it's not like, oh, gosh, I didn't know they were so good in the third quarter. I mean, the Warriors announced that. They've been doing it all season. Uh, you just have to come out uh, a little more alert, a little more ready. Uh, but, you know, we're now down to uh, what turns out to be a three-game series. So uh, you need to be ready from the get-go, and you need to be ready at the start of the second half. And so uh, there, there's, no, uh, there's no excuse uh, for either team. And I suspect that Boston will be uh, fit and ready to start the second half. You know, at the end of the game four, last game, uh, the Celtics had a 94-90 lead with five minutes to go, and then they were outscored 17-3, to and it's reminiscent of the Miami series when they almost blew game seven in terms of not getting, it seemed like not getting those, the good shots, rushing shots. Uh, what would you suggest? Like, it, it seems like they just, they just seem to be rushing at those end of the games and not getting Jason Tatum involved. I mean, he only had one basket in the fourth quarter of the last game. Yeah, well, you, you hit upon what I would do, live by this and sometimes I get tired by doing this <laughs> uh, always always go to your your key player so for me it was go to Kareem it was get uh, Norm uh, Nixon the ball get it into Kareem get magic to do his thing but get it into Kareem so uh, the Celtics they have to live and die with Tatum I mean he Brown and Tatum are their t- two go-to guys Tatum is the game maker, game changer. So when in doubt, get him to score. However, I want to say on the other hand, Tatum has to be more to take the ball and say, get out of my way. So it goes both ways. Would you tell Marcus Smart, like, don't shoot? Like, it seems like Marcus Smart has no fear. Like, he wants to shoot all the time. Is there? Would you take Marcus Smart aside and say, Marcus, you cannot take four threes. I mean, he missed four threes, five threes at the end of the, of the game four. And against in the Heat series, he missed four threes in, like, the final two minutes. So it seems like, you know, it's like someone, he just keeps shooting. 
have you have you seen the look on Marcus Smart his face when he looks at you? I don't <laughs> think I would tell him too much. <laughs> I'd say, Marcus, perhaps you might want to find uh, Tatum rather than shooting a three. No, it, it's a fine line. That's what I say. You can't you can't twist the the, the, the the players to do things that you think uh, are are better. You have to kind of lead them a little bit and let them figure it out. But for sure, Smart is clever enough to know that Tatum has to get the ball more in this first quarter. And then, you know, I'm I'm intrigued by Jalen Brown because I guess the other aspect of it is that there's sometimes at the beginning of the last game, Jalen was just tremendous to start. And it seems like, you know, again, the mix. I had Dan Chanase in from the Boston Globe, and I said, do these guys even get along? And he's like, I don't even know. And the point is when you watch them in the games, like they're used between, a, you know, Magic and – and Kareem were two different players. I mean, one's a, a guard and one's a center. And, and but Brown right. and Tatum were very right. similar. So it's hard to get those yes, two to, to work to you know together really. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting uh, combination. Uh, the two of them together when they're uh, on fire and they're working, Boston will win. Uh, uh, versus uh, uh, Clay Thompson and uh, Curry. Uh, they're not as good a combination when they're both on. I mean, it's it's a good matchup, but I would go with Tatum and Brown if they're on their game. But the difference is that Curry keeps everything alive every game, and Tatum and Brown kind of come in and come out, and sometimes they're not they're not both firing at the same time. So I want to turn. Oh, with one last question I had written down, I wanted to ask about the uh, about the this current series is how do you think that Magic Cream, your team, seventy nine eighty, would have done against either of these teams? And when you say which rules to play, how about playing in your own rules in those days when when nobody made a three in those games? Like I look back at Game Six and the, the Sixers yeah. and and the Lakers combined were zero for six, or in today's rules. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the big X factor. Uh, our team of 1980 and either one of these teams is that we did have a dominant low post center and the low post game for the most part in the NBA has gone away. Uh, you know, all the big guys are stepping out and shooting threes. Uh, Kareem, you know, would not do that. You know, could not do that. Oh, maybe you could take some outside shots. So, uh, it just depends on what you think. Uh, I think I would go with my center, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and say that he could just dominate teams inside because uh, nobody plays that way. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for Draymond Green to do anything against uh, Kareem. But, uh, or anyone. <laughs> or any, correct, correct. So great stuff there from Paul Westhead, Ira, and I think we're going to catch up with him a little bit more next week. Yeah, we kind of, we did it's just the interview right now and, and to uh, right before the show, and we're going to have the interview next week about winning time, and so this gives everybody a time for this week. So watch the NBA Finals and watch winning time because we're going to go over and find out what from the TV show, there was 10 episodes, it was like TV show, movie, whatever you want to call it, like The Sopranos, and what from the, the, movie, the TV show is different from real life. Like there's a TV show situation, how they presented it. It's extremely 
extremely entertaining. I have recommended so many people to watch this on TV. I feel like I'm advertising for HBO, but I've told everybody <laughs> to watch this, and every, no, everyone says, I read it's better than what you said. And I said, this is the greatest thing I've seen. So I think uh, people should watch it. And you consume a lot of this media, both uh, on TV and reading it. So yeah. if, you're, if you're saying this, it's uh, good advice here from Ira. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, you can follow Ira all across the country and all across social media at Ira on Sports. Let's go to the NHL, Ira. Talking about the Western Conference first, I said on this show that I thought that it would be a five-game series. Colorado would just crush Edmonton, and I was wrong. It was a sweep, and Colorado showed why they were the preseason favorites to advance to the Stanley Cup throughout this entire playoff run. They looked amazing. Yeah, I mean, in the, it was the game four. Uh, Edmonton goes up in Edmonton. So this was in Edmonton. People thought they were going to go back to Colorado for game five. In the second period, Edmonton's up three to one. And you're like, okay, well, Edmonton's going to win the game. But, boy, that third period, Colorado scored, made it 3-2. Edmonton made it 4-2. It got to the point where Colorado was up uh, was up 5-4, uh, took the lead. Edmonton came back, made it 5-5. You're thinking, it's never going to, you know, how's it going to end? Goes into overtime, and Colorado scores on that crazy, was it whether a high stick or not? I was texting you. I didn't know it was that goal. It I was, thought it was so close. It was It was so where, like, where you're not supposed to have your stick so high when it hits and goes in and wins an overtime goal. And you're almost saying, like, everybody knew Colorado. Colorado's going to win. They just wanted to go home. It's like, let's give it to them, Colorado, to do it. The announce, and I've never, you you wouldn't hear this in any other sport, but, you know, they're talking after the game, and they said, like, this was kind of just like a hockey call that we made here. Like, they're not going to win the series. Let's just wrap it up right here. They wouldn't they wouldn't do that in any other sport. I thought that was a little bit But you bit have weird. to question the whole Colorado goalie situation because the fact is when we sat and watched there, and as you've been texting me, the Eastern Conference, like, the you know, we're watching the Eastern Conference. Shots are flying all over the place. Goalies are giving nothing up between Vaz, uh, uh, the Vasilevsky two goalies. and uh, Shosturkin. Yes, Shosturkin. Can you just – I was like – Just call him Igor. <laughs> and those goalies are making every save after every save, and Colorado is just – wasn't like that. I mean, it was like it was. It was definitely there was a lot more goals, a lot more scoring, and all the games. And that's something that'll be a theme here in the Stanley Cup. You know, we said before the Eastern Conference, we got the best goalie of the last five years. He's basically a Hall of Famer already in Vasilevsky versus this year's Vezina Trophy winner, which is for the best goalie. It hasn't been awarded yet, but he's surely going to get it uh, based off his stats compared to Mike Smith from Edmonton, who's forty-one years old and looked it at the end. Of, you know, as the series went on. And then NHL plays, two, uh, the Colorado plays two different goalies, and both of them are subpar as far as league average. I think it's going to be an interesting series. But let's talk about what happened with Tampa and the New York Rangers. Man, the Rangers really know how to let the air out of the room quickly in some of these games, and, and that's what we saw a lot. After going up 2 nothing, things didn't look good from here. Let's talk about Game 4. Yeah, I mean, they were up they were up 2-1 in the Lightning one Game 3, make it at 3-2 in Tampa, and then they go in Game 4, uh, Tampa scores in the first two minutes of the game. Uh, then they were just even getting more shots as going on. And it, again, we talked about Igor stopping. It's like some of these games, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, this could have been, it, it could have been 7-1 or whatever. He was yeah, a lesser goal save. he would have. And, and you know, they, made, they mentioned shots on goal a lot, and you look at the shots on goal, but it's like the quality of shots. It's like Tampa was firing, like, really good shots, and he was making, it wasn't just like they were hitting pads. Like, he was making great saves on those. Yeah, they, they call it scoring chances, and at some point in these games, it'd be Lightning had 12 scoring chances to the Rangers, too. Not good. 
and then it was two nothing in the second, and then Vas- Vasilevsky had gone at this point, who had not, had not did not play well the first two games of the series, but they went seventy minutes without giving up a goal, and then period three it was three zero, and uh, Tampa Bay scored scored at the end, it, 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 but to make it four one, but it was one of those things that they were just I mean, again the Rangers were outscored the final three games of the series nine to three, and it's just it can't happen, and I saw when I went to Game Six, it just it did not seem like they were playing as fast as. Uh, Tampa was. And whatever Tampa did those first two games to make the Rangers think they had a chance against him, the more you watch it, the better team was Tampa. As you had said, on the, you told me Tampa was winning the series, and you were right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about game five here. This was going back to New York, and the Rangers fans as a whole, we collect ourselves, okay? We are really good on home ice. We, we are still tied in this series. You would think that we're down, and it didn't look good. Uh, you know, it didn't look good in game five either. Yeah, so I mean, the Rangers in the second, no, no scoring in the first period. There are penalties; each team saved penalties uh, in the in the second period, and then the Rangers scored uh, one nothing. And then, oh man, people were going. I was at the bar. I told you that's where I was watching the bar in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were screaming, they're yelling, they're hugging. And then Sergachev hit that long shot to tie it one one. Um, and then third period, no penalties. It was it was scoreless almost the whole period. And then uh, Tampa with a minute fifty left scores. And when Palette scored that goal. Um, the guy next to me pounded his. It wasn't next to me. It was like for the way I thought he, his glass broken, like glass shattered in my face. Thank <laughs> God it was only beer. But I mean, people were so mad. Like I got to think, Ranger fans, like things were breaking. Like I mean, everything. TV sets were broken on that goal because it's like his game battle, battle, and then you just and there was no chance for them to come back because you score so late in the period, go up two one, and then there's no time for you to like do anything to come back to to score the next goal. Yeah, my poor wife and child got woken up uh, from some screams there. That was just a, a, a backbreaker, and it's not. I didn't have much confidence in overtime, but to end it like that, like you said, with about 90 seconds to go, not fun. So you're going to game to game uh, six here. You've been to Tampa plenty of times, so you know where to go. But I believe that this stadium's downtown, right? It's not near. It's not near Raymond James. It's, yeah. it's further apart. So it's by where it's actually. I had my best Steeler ticket I ever bought there was when they first opened the Amelie Center. I don't even think it was built back then when Steelers played against Arizona in the Super Bowl. And I went there the day before the Super Bowl, and I got a fifty-yard line ticket for almost nothing. And then and it was like great. It was like my best scalping. That's in those days when the guy wanted money, and I had to go to the cash machine, and then it took like fifty dollars at a time. So to keep getting fifty, like 30, 40 <laughs> times, and people were yelling at me. So I. Had good memories from that area what they ever call that area but um no we parked further away and then you could walk into but the, what's fun is they had thousands of people partying you see that on tv that's real i mean they're all so it's not just people going to the game there's thousands of people outside partying and those things when you go in the stadium though um i like the fact you have all these restaurants like not just outback steakhouse but there's all these tampa restaurants that are in there so it wasn't just like stupid french fries and and a hamburger you really could eat normal restaurants and everyone was of course decked out in tampa bay colors and lightning and those things i liked it i thought it was a i thought it was a it was it's a very it's an older arena but very compact and when you go in there in the in the seats very close all around very steep Everything like it's almost like everything is on top of the ice. Like if you fall from the third <laughs> third level, you're gonna fall right on the middle of the ice. And we, I sat right behind the Tampa Bay bench, so it was. It's sometimes hard. I mean, it was, I like seeing behind the bench because you get to see the shifts and how they decide to go on mm-hmm. and off and and decisions. And it's it and, and but be able to be there and just to hear like when they practice when they're running around practicing before the game. Uh, that was fun. I, I want to say. Before the game starts, when they do with the music and the lights, everything, that's louder than a basketball game. And basketball oh, yeah. games are loud. It's going crazy. I mean, they were just, I was like ready to run. I was ready to go on the ice. It was just so exciting. <laughs>
<laughs> um, no, they, they really do a really good job of, of the production value of a hockey game. And that's why I say, you know, if you have young kids or something and they're eight years old, baseball might not hold their attention. Hockey game, it's going to hold their attention. Were the fans as into it as the fans in Boston? Because they get a good reputation for being solid Tampa Bay hockey fans. I think they were, but this is what I'm going to say, is that they the beginning of the game was better than, even though they were winning, I, I thought they were good. Now, this is what I like about these hockey fans. I love that they don't stand up. Just some guy stands up and, like, checks his phone or says hi to friends. There's no socializing. You know, like, the game's on. Everybody's sitting in their seat. When something big happens, they stand up, and then they sit right back down. They don't just use that time to stand up. Then they just look around and take some pictures or whatever. So I like that aspect of the game. And I also like that the fact that the fans um, – I felt like the fans were into the game. They knew what was happening. They're engaged. And they were, I never felt like during a period, I no one was getting popcorn in the middle of the game. It wasn't like, you know, when you're in a Boston game, it's like the fourth quarter, two minutes to go. The <laughs> game's in the balance. Someone has to get more popcorn. Like, you know, it was, it was not the need for that. So I do like that. So, But I did think they, they were louder at the beginning than at the end when they had a chance to win. This is going to the Stanley Cup Finals. I've never done that. That's three times, but only one was in a bubble. But they didn't. I thought the fans should have been standing the last five minutes of the game. Like, stand up. Go crazy. Like, I would expect expected that that's what I sort of felt like they should have been standing one thing that some people if you've never been to a hockey game might not know when the pucks in play they won't let you return to your seat there's people standing at every entrance and they stop you until the puck stops to keep people that are watching engaged. why can't football do that football is the it's worst. a good rule for everyone football is just horrendous it's, it's terrible <laughs> you're right though you have two minutes left in the game someone's going to get popcorn come on man so let's talk about the game itself this was another one where not a whole lot of action, but Tampa Bay looked like they were in the driver's seat. I the thought the first time. period, I, I felt like, I felt from the moment the puck dropped that Tampa Bay was a better team. Yes. They just were full. I'm so close to the ice. That first 10 minutes dictated the whole game. The Rangers could even keep the, like, they could even run a play. They could even mm-hmm. keep the puck on the sticks. They could even, every, Tampa just could do whatever they wanted. And they just seemed to get quality shots. And they just didn't get in because Igor played so great in goal. But it was like one of those things where it was, a, I just, man, like Tampa just looked so much better. But it's 0-0 zero, zero at the end of one. And then the second period, they had a penalties beginning. So they went 4-4. Four and four. You think that's a benefit for Tampa. Um, but then nothing happens. And then there was a couple penalties. They were uh, saved some penalties. And then Stamkos, who's the – I mean, this is a thing when we're talking about Curry. We're talking about Steve Stamkos. Uh, Steve, right? Steve Stamkos. Steve Stamkos, yeah. their star goal, uh, captain, everything. You know, again, like Curry, coming up with the big shots when you need it. I mean, that's – like, he comes out – like, that's – I mean – you're looking for your stars, and you come out, and it was a great shot, and I missed it. You know, I'm trying to take pictures of everything, and it was like he came right down. It was it was just the Rangers were a little lazy, but in hockey, it seems like if you just if you're a little lazy for one second, like that's it. Like basketball, you can sort of maybe be a little lazy, catch up and block the shot, but in hockey, if you just if you're slow, like almost a wide receiver or a cornerback in football, if you let that guy run by you, you're done. One like, that's hesitation. A touchdown. Yeah, one hesitation, the plays pass you, and you're you know looking embarrassed. What I will say happened, you know, the difference between the first two games and the, and the latter four, they just played lockdown defense. And they decided they weren't going to let the Rangers pass cross ice. So even when the Rangers were set up in the zone, they couldn't pass and make Vasilevsky move. They could only pass back to the defensemen, and they were fantastic at it. And the Rangers just had no opportunities. Even when the Rangers were on the power play, it looked like even strength because they were their they, defense right. was so solid. It, it was not a great performance, but the Rangers are a young team. They're going to have plenty of time to bounce back. Going into the Stanley Cup final era. Okay, go ahead. You want oh, to but for the third period, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Stamkos got a penalty for holding, and it's like, wow. Like, that's like, and then. It was shocking. And, and then, and then they, the, uh, the Rangers on the power play score, 
make it 1-1. And that's when the fans got, oh, no, we're going to lose the game. Like, this is a disaster. <laughs> and then can you imagine that Stamkos comes out, six, uh, like it was 21 seconds later, and scores. Yeah. And then he scores the second goal, make it 2-1, and then they just held on to win at the end and, and play great. But that was where I just thought that that was just like with Stamkos to, to actually commit the penalty, come back, then score the goal. And then, of course, they played great defense at the end, and the Rangers were firing everything they possibly could. And then you've got to love the end of a hockey game when they come out and they bring the trophy out, but they don't, whatever trophy that is, the Calder or whatever, yeah. they, they don't want to touch it because mm -hmm. it's bad luck, so it's, it's there. And then they take the pictures and they shake all their hands and the goalies and the goalies meet i always think that's cool when the two goalies meet so i, I mean i was great I, I we stayed till the to the game passed all the ceremony and then rushed back to to west palm beach but i really enjoyed uh going to the game i mean it's only been my second stanley cup final game so it was i'm not an expert on that but i just love being there for that game yeah the um it's the prince of wales trophy for winning right. the eastern okay. conference i i had to google that myself i, I wasn't aware of the name so going into the final ira i i said it on the show when the playoffs started Tampa Bay is the best team in this, and I think that they're going to beat any team in the West. If you look in Vegas, Colorado is a huge favorite. I'm advising everyone, if you've got a little money, you like to gamble, go ahead and throw some money on Tampa Bay. You're getting almost, I think it was 150 last I checked, plus 150 compared to minus 160. So I think they should be the favorites here. They're not. I think Tampa's going to beat them in five or six games. How is Tampa not the favorite? They have more experience. Right? The best goalie in the league. Colorado has Kadri's injury issues. They have Their goalies are give up goals. They're the best goalie. And, and I just... I mean, I think Tampa wins. Like, again, I, I think if Tampa doesn't win in five games, I'd be surprised. Like, I, I I guess, I mean, I just don't understand. When I saw that, the Colorado's favorite. I mean, are they that much? Because I watch these games, and their goalies give up goals, whereas Vasilevsky does not give up any goals at all. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You think you'll, you'll make it to a uh, Stanley Cup game? Yes, awesome. I will. I will. I, hopefully that Monday when it comes back to Tampa, I will go to the Stanley Cup final game. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Got about seven minutes to go. Still so much to talk about. Let's get into golf, Ira, and you had texted me, you, do you think that Jay Monahan and the PGA like rigged our Sunday here? Because we got, you know, two of the best golfers in the world, in addition to a very, you know, popular, exciting golfer in Tony Finau. What a golf tournament this turned out to be. Great for the PGA who needed it. Right. I mean, you have, it, it, I think it was rigged. It had to be because <laughs> the whole Live Golf Series thing, and there were golfers that were golfing, they were joining the Live Golf Series that were rumored were about. So you have Rory, who was like the poster child for the PGA Tour, is ending up in a battle with Justin Thomas, who's the other poster child for the PGA Tour. And with Finau, and it's like uh, they were 8 one, 4 had a two shot lead. Then it got tied at 16. Then Rory was in the sand. It was, it was 17, 17, 16, and under. And then in seven, then it's in 16. And then in 17, uh, Rory. Uh, his second shot was like inches to the hole. He birdied. Thomas bogeyed the hole, gave him a two-shot lead and ended up winning. And Rory ended up winning the tournament. But uh, uh, great. Justin Rose shot a 60. Uh, he finished 14 under for a tournament and, of course, record for a final round. Uh, Wyndham Clark had a double bogey on 17. If he would have had just had a bogey on 17, he would have been made the British Open, but that bumped him out for the British Open. But this is one of those things where I just, again, they, they had the fans where they haven't had played this tournament in two years. So Rory's quote the defending champion because they didn't have to play. And all the fans showed up. And on the final 18, all the fans came out, sort of like Tiger-like and those things. But it was all in the backdrop of the Live Golf Series. And that's what made this so unusual that Rory, if that's going to what's going to motivate Rory to win these tournaments, because he goes, oh, this is my 21st win. And that's better than someone who had 20. And I knew he was mentioning <laughs> Greg Norman had 20. I didn't like, put it together right like, away. He's so obsessed with Greg Norman. Like, oh, my gosh, like this is like this is the battle to the death it's almost like a wrestling i mean it's a wrestling analogy with golf because they're trying to go oh, that's a live golf person and that's a pga tour golf person no it's, it's kind of funny how that shook out so you want to talk about live here because 
Hey, what do you know? Charles Schwartzel just got the biggest golf prize of all time. We knew it was coming. Well, five million in a tournament. I mean, the PJ in the player in the end of the year, the FedEx title, you can win the tournament and then win another bonus point. But he did win almost five million dollars. Um, but the key is that like the 18th person at the at the RBC Canada, we made one hundred and twenty thousand. And that was uh, what the four, the last person yeah. at uh, in in England guaranteed won, paycheck on one one twenty. So I mean, it's the third, the second place. Hane de Plessis made two point two million, whereas Finau made nine hundred forty eight thousand. I mean, the way so they as much as everyone is going to talk about this live golf series, forty eight players, fifty four. Uh, you know, they only play three rounds. Um, a shotgun start where they all they they start at one time, they end at one time, and they also have a team concept, which I'm starting to think this team might work because if you put like all the Aussies together, you know, you put all the all the young guns together, like they could. It's like a wrestling type thing, like mm-hmm. you know, all the bad boys, like Bryson and Patrick <laughs> Reed, have got to be. You put all the bad guys on the same team, like they should wear like the same stuff. Like there could be fun stuff with that. So I'm starting to like that concept of it. Um, but uh, they play in London, then they go to Portland at the end of June, then Bedminster in New Jersey, and then they go Boston, Chicago, Bangkok, all throughout, and then Miami here in October 27th to 30th. And uh, the key thing is, is the PGA Tour that announced they're suspended. Anyone who plays is done. You can't play. Stay away. We don't want you. No sponsor exemption. You're finished from the PGA Tour. Now, the majors are not part of the PGA Tour. So the Masters U.S. Open, and the key thing with the U.S. Open said, we'll let the people in. So that now it seems like they're letting the live tour people in. But then the PGA Tour is saying, well, these things called world golf points. And if somehow you keep playing live golf tour and you can't get any world golf points for that, then then you're going to somehow not get a chance to play. And only if you get exemptions like the Mickelson's and Dustin Johnson, those are the ones who could eventually play. So this is the long game back and forth. But what I like, what I not like, what I find interesting is that the people who started the Live Tour now have said applied for the DP Tour, which is the European Tour, and said, we'd like to play on that tour and get their points. Now, they have a, a they call it an alliance. I love this, like, it's not a movie. <laughs> an alliance between the PGA Tour and the European Tour, which says that they were going to follow, not allow these people. But if you're a sponsor on the European Tour, and Dustin Johnson, and Phil Mickelson, and Lee, and all these guys want to play there. They move the needle. And then the sponsors say, no, no, I'd rather have names play in my tournament. I don't care that the PGA Tour is banning them. I need it more than the PGA Tour does. Maybe, maybe the DP World Tour lets these people in, lets them get points. And uh, I think that's what... And the other interesting thing, you know, you make an announcement that you're going, you suddenly announce that you lose all your sponsorships. But what sponsors are leaving? It's RBC, it's UPS, it's FedEx, it's all the ones who are sponsoring tournaments. But it's not the golf manufacturers. It's not the clubs. It's not the balls. They still are sponsoring they all these guys. over there, too. Yeah, they, were not, they weren't playing... But they like Dustin Johnson was not going to Kmart and buying some balls. Like he was playing, he was getting paid to stay. So I mean, I, I am one of the few people. I and I think we've talked this about before that I think it's going. I think the PGA Tour has a big problem on its hands. I think that they are going to be challenged, and I don't think this is going to go away. And I think when Rory said a few months ago, "This isn't going to happen," I think it was wrong. And you saw this week, like what what was happening. First of all, Phil did it. Everyone knew Dustin Johnson to me was the big one, the thirty-seven year old. Uh, he's won twenty. You know, Rory made a big deal. Won twenty-one tournaments. Well, Dustin won twenty-seven tournaments. You know, he's won the two two uh, uh, two majors. 
majors. But then now Bryson DeChambeau, who wouldn't play this week, was in there. He has 10 wins in the U.S. Open winner. Patrick Reed, Masters champion, number 38 in the world. And then you have younger players. Like, these are like Tyler Gooch is 30, Hudson Stafford 34, who's 94th in the world, Kevin Nas, 33rd in the world, 30 years old. And you're starting to see, like, Pat Perez and just a trickling of little of other golfers. Every It seemed like every two days another golfer is joining. And then you have the European golfers, Sergio, Westwood, Martin Keimer, Ian Poulter. And then you have international players like Louis Oshausen. The field is is starting to fill out. There are the yeah, it's not there yet, but eventually I, there's fields are going to be stronger than the PGA tournament fields. Now remember these players. This the live the live is saying you can play on our tour and play anywhere you want. Just play on our tour. And the other tour, you know, the PGA tour is saying no. If you play there, you're not allowed to play on our tour. So um, we've got about three or four minutes here to go. Let's uh, let's hop into some auto racing. Yeah, well, the F1 was in Azerbaijan. And uh, Verstappen from Red Bull and Perez were one two uh, finished. They finished one two for the race. Uh, and George Russell for Mercedes was third, and Hamilton was fourth. You're saying where's the Ferraris? And the Ferraris were on the pole and doing well. But in lap eight, Carlos Sites he had a problem with his engine. And then in lap twenty, Leclerc's engine. The two Ferraris, the two you know two top drivers, their their engines failed. And uh, it ended up that for Verstappen, Perez, Russell, and Lewis Hamilton went one through four. So it was Red Bull one two. It's almost like last year, Red Bull one two and Mercedes three four. Uh, the one thing was after the the Mercedes is having trouble because their cars are porpoising, which means they're bouncing. So if you're driving down some of these roads that you drive down, it's bouncing. And when you're driving a car like they drive and you're bouncing, and Lewis Hamilton got out of the car. He looked like like when I'm like do a five hour drive and I get out. That's how I walk. Like that's how it was. I mean, he was walking gingerly, and they're like, you know, we got to fix these cars. But it's uh, now next week they're going to be in Canada and then England, Spain, and Hungary. So, but right now Verstappen is sort of a stranglehold on the Formula One title. And then the NASCAR race was exciting because it was in Sonoma. And Daniel Suarez, who drives for Pitbull, uh, it was a road course, but it's beautiful when you watch this thing. And he ended up winning uh, winning the race. He's the first Mexican born driver to win the race. Uh, and is the fifth international driver. So that was really a big deal for, uh, in terms of making this NASCAR story become more international. And Suarez is extremely popular. He has 195 starts, never won, and he finally won. Ira, let's wrap it up with the Belmont Stakes here. I had said on uh, my other show on this station on Friday nights, Mo Donegal is the pick here. I foolishly didn't catch a ticket. I picked the one, three, and fourth place horses. Didn't see Nest finishing second, and that cost me from a big payday. But congratulations to Mo Donegal. He showed up in the Belmont. Well, Todd Pletcher trains both. There was only eight horses that ran. Mm-hmm. And I could surprise that I've been to the Belmont for the Triple Cards where they have 125,000 people. There are only 40-some thousand fans at the game, at the, at the, at the race, at the game. <laughs> but um, Mo Donegal was read by Arad Ortiz, and his brother, Jose, ran Nest in the second place. So Pletcher trained both horses, and two brothers ran them. And the big surprise was Rich Strike, the Kentucky Derby winner, when it did not run a great race, finished six out of eight. And then the trainer goes, I take it, I take problem because you watched it during the Kentucky Derby, and Rich Strike went on the rail and just ran the rail. And you watch the race again after they said that, he goes, I told them to run in the middle, not run on the rail. Now, why would you tell? I mean, I'm not a trainer. I don't know what I'm doing, but that <laughs> seems stupid to me. And he goes, I made the wrong call. The wrong call because if you're watching the race, all Rich Strike was trying to do the whole race was run to the rail, and the jockey's holding him back, trying don't run to the rail. No wonder it finished in sixth place. <laughs> no, not, not their best performance, and we won't really have any significant horse races uh, here for a while. What's your plans for this week, Ira? I know that I'm sure you're trying to get to both an NBA Finals and Stanley Cup match. I can't go to Stanley Cup because it's going to be um, uh, Wednesday and Saturday in Colorado, so I'm not flying to Colorado. Mm-hmm. The question is, is do I go 
do I go to the NBA's on Thursday night? We'll see what happens. That's a possibility. But that would be <laughs> the one I would be able to go to is to go NBA on Thursday. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Paul Westhead for stopping by uh, on behalf of Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.